Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. How does the United States Supreme Court affect you, and particularly you as a Christian, or does it? Why is there going to be a fight over the next justice now that Justice Anthony Kennedy is retiring? And if Trump puts on a conservative, is the Supreme Court likely to overturn Roe versus Wade? And if he does, what would that mean? And what about the decision that came down with regard to the travel ban, which affirmed Trump's travel ban? Was that racist or was that a ban uh, against Muslims that would be against the Constitution? There's some of the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, We were going to do the third installment of the big questions in life today. But this Supreme Court thing has kind of pushed that aside until at least next week. Because we need to talk about this. There's a lot going on in the media about this, as you'd imagine. What does it mean to Christians? What does it mean to the country? I mean, we're coming up to the 4th of July. We're going to celebrate our birthday again. Uh, It seems like a good time to talk about some issues of government and how it affects us as Christians. By the way, I did get some questions from you guys since we opened up the uh, email address last week. And I'll try and get to some of those questions, hopefully this week, if not next week. If you want to email us with a question or comment, hello at crossexamined.org. That's hello at crossexamined, with a D on the end of it, dot org. You're listening to Crossexamined with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Now, this decision uh, that Anthony Kennedy made personally to retire from the United States Supreme Court has sent the uh, the mainstream media into a tizzy. Now, why is that? Why are they so concerned that somebody maybe more conservative than Kennedy is going to get on the court? Now, first of all, let's go back to Justice Anthony Kennedy. In my view, Anthony Kennedy was perhaps the worst justice in the history of the United States Supreme Court. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he was a, he was he was a bad man. I'm not saying he was unkind. I'm not saying uh, that, uh, he was evil. Don't, I'm, I'm not saying any of that. Okay. I'm just saying some of his decisions were so poorly reasoned and were such an example of judicial activism, taking the power away from the people and putting it on himself that he, in my view, was not fit to be a justice. And he was actually appointed by president Ronald Reagan and Reagan appointed him because his first two nominees went down. The first was Justice uh, Bork, Robert Bork, who was brilliant and should have been on the court. If Bork had been on the court, our country would be in a lot better shape today. He wasn't a Christian, by the way, Bork. He was just what we call a positivist in law, which meant he believed that the Constitution uh, meant what it said. He was more of an originalist, which is what we ought to be on the Supreme Court. And I'll explain why as we move on. Uh, then Reagan put, uh, I think, Ginsburg on, uh, uh, not Ruth Bader Ginsburg, another Ginsburg who got caught smoking pot or something. So he was he was jettisoned and Anthony Kennedy then was put on the court. Now, just to show you what I mean by one of the worst justices in the history of the United States Supreme Court, there's a famous case 
that uh, came down in 1992 called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And this is a very relevant case because it was possibly the case that was going to overturn Roe versus Wade. And we'll explain why a little bit later in the program that even if the justices overturn Roe versus Wade, it might do nothing to stop abortion. I'll explain why a little bit later. Stay with me. Let's go back to the Planned Parenthood versus Casey case. Uh, this is back in 1992. The, the opinion was written by Justice Anthony Kennedy and only been on the court for uh, about six years at this point. Seven years, maybe, or, or five years, maybe. Um, he was originally out of California, Sacramento, I believe. Justice Kennedy is from. And uh, I was actually standing online to get this decision when it came down because I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time or near D.C. I was a I was in the United States Navy and I was a naval ROTC instructor at George Washington University teaching leadership and management. And uh, I was very interested in this case. I hadn't gone to seminary yet. I hadn't gone to SES, uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary. Um, but when I read this case, it was really hard for me to believe this sentence. This is what Justice Anthony Kennedy said in his majority decision. Some of us as individuals find abortion offensive to our most basic principles of morality, but that cannot control our decision. Our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not to mandate our own moral code. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life, unquote. Now, that sounds all flowery and philosophical, but once you begin to unpack that, this is actually a horrifying piece of his opinion. In fact, let's just go through it step by step. Here's what he said. Our obligation is to define liberty of all, not to mandate our own moral code. Now, here's my question. Is the court, the United States Supreme Court, supposed to define liberty or apply the definition of liberty that's enshrined in the Constitution? The answer is B. It's not supposed to define liberty. But, but Kennedy's saying they should define liberty. No, 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 no. You're, you're a justice. You're not a legislator. You don't, you don't decide what liberty is. You apply the definition that Congress has already put in the Constitution when the Constitution was ratified, you apply that definition to particular cases. You don't define it. If the court defines liberty, then we no longer govern ourselves. We the people becomes we the court. And that is what has happened. The court has been a mini legislature, actually a supreme legislature. They've decided issues that the people should have decided through their elected representatives at Congress, in Congress. Now, when that happens... The people no longer are governing themselves. We're not governing ourselves. The next line that Kennedy said in this opinion, again, this is Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org. Kennedy said, our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not to mandate our own moral code. All right, let me stop right here. How does the court's decision not mandate a moral code. It basically left Roe v. Wade in place. It said that a woman has an absolute moral right to abort her child. That's mandating a moral code. That's exactly what they're doing. He's saying we're not mandating a moral code, but that's exactly what he's doing. 
In fact, the decision that he made in Planned Parenthood versus Casey imposes its own moral code on the baby, the father, and the people of the states who might want to restrict abortion. That's not a neutral position. There's no neutral position in abortion. There's no neutral position. If you're going to say the state or the father has no right to stop abortion, that's not neutral. That's saying that a woman can decide to kill her child. So the state or the court here is mandating a moral code. And as I've said a thousand times on this program, all laws legislate morality. The only question is whose morality? Now, what Kennedy ought to be doing on the United States Supreme Court is ensuring that the legislated morality in the Constitution or in a particular statutory law is applied rightfully to individual cases. His job is not to impose his own moral code. He's right about that. But he's supposed to make sure that the moral code that has been imposed is imposed rightfully and justly to particular cases. Now, what about Kennedy's next statement? At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Justice Bork, remember, who was replaced by Kennedy, or Bork didn't make it, so Kennedy was put in his place, said this. One would think that grown men and women purporting to practice an intellectual profession would themselves choose to die with dignity right in the courtroom before writing sentences like those. (laughs) I'll explain why. Bork said that because what Kennedy said in that opinion nullifies all criminal law if you would apply it logically. And we'll talk why right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. Cross-Examined with a D on the end of it. I'm back in two minutes. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. I guarantee you, you're not going to hear this on NPR. We're talking today about the United States Supreme Court. How does it impact Christianity or Christians? Why is there going to be such a big fight over the next nominee for the Supreme Court? Uh, What about the travel ban? Was that decided rightly in several other cases? We've been talking about Justice Anthony Kennedy's decision back in the 1992 Planned Parenthood versus Casey uh, case that uh, came out, as I said, in 1992 and actually reaffirmed the Roe v. Wade decision. And later, later in the program, we'll talk about why even if the justices overturn Roe v. Wade, it may not change a thing. Anyway, let's go back to uh, let's go back to Kennedy. Uh, and, and let me say one thing. I said that Kennedy was probably the worst justice in the history of the Supreme Court, in my view. Again, not that he's a bad person or that he wasn't a nice guy. I just think some of his decisions were so poorly reasoned. They didn't correspond to the Constitution and they were judicial activism type uh, decisions. Now, several times Kennedy came to the right decision, in my view. In fact, uh, these s- several cases that were just decided, he was on the right side of them. Uh, but when it comes to some of the biggest decisions, like Planned Parenthood versus Casey, or the uh, o- o- the uh, the Oberfeld decision on uh, same-sex marriage, he's so far out to lunch that he has done he's done irreparable damage to the nation. And maybe we'll. Exp- 
explain why a little bit later. But let's go back to uh, to this Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision. Remember when he said in the decision at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of exist of, of of existence, of meaning, of the universe and of the mystery of human life. Now, how is that dicta? Now, what's dicta? Dicta is uh, a term lawyers use for the opinion, the the actual reasoning in the opinion. How is that dicta right there not a recipe for anarchy? Why? Because thieves could be stealing because theft is simply an expression of, quote, their own concept of, of existence. Racists could be discriminating because, quote, as they define the universe, only members of their own race should be treated fairly. Uh, terrorists could be killing people because by their own, quote, definition of the mystery of human life, their victims were not human. I mean, Kennedy's dicta here of relativism logically nullifies all criminal law. No, no, no. The human beings do not have the liberty to define what existence is or meaning or the universe or the mystery of human life. We put what we believe is true about those things into law. And then citizens need to adjust their behavior to fit those definitions. Not every individual has the right to do that. We hope as legislators, we do it right and put the right principles into law. But to say that every human being has the right to do that, regardless of what the law says, would be anarchy. I mean, it's a self-defeating proposition. He's saying everybody has the right basically to create his own reality. That's what he's saying. Well, how can you have law? If everybody gets to create their own reality. Now, you see where we are. What are we? Uh, this is in 1992. This is what, 26 years ago? Well, you have people now thinking they can claim they, they can create their own reality, their own genders, their own sex. Their, they can just do it. Regardless of what sci the scientific facts are. Regardless of what logic dictates here. This is a complete recipe for disaster. And this is actually in a United States Supreme Court decision. In fact, Justice Scalia, who was always brilliant, no matter what he wrote, in his dissent said this, it is not reasoned judgment that supports the court's decision, only personal predilection. The empirical, or I, I'm sorry, he said the imperial judiciary lives. What does he mean by that? That here is the court acting like a legislature. Here is the court imposing its will on the people, not applying the will of the people to particular cases. This is technically called oligarchy, where you have uh, a few elites on a court running the country. And this leads us, by the way, to the next question, which is why is there going to be so much heat and light, maybe very little light, so much consternation, so much gnashing and wailing of teeth over the next Supreme Court justice. The reason is, is because many on the court just decide what the law should be rather than interpreting and applying what the law really is to particular cases. In other words, we know that when we put somebody on the court, particularly if they're left of center, or center or left, they're going to legislate. They're going to impose on us what they think's right, rather than applying what we've said is right in the law to particular cases. We've taken the power out of our own hands, and politicians know this. That's why there's going to be a big fight. 
And at the end of the day, what does this all revolve around? It revolves around the religion in America. What? What do you mean the religion? The new religion in America is the religion of sex. The things we, we argue over most are the big sexual issues, whether it has to do with abortion or marriage or same-sex marriage or transgenderism or the government paying for abortion or same-sex same surgery or, or uh, uh, transition surgeries or whatever. Now we're even arguing over what bathrooms we ought to use. What, are all the, what is all this related to? It's all related to sex. Look, if there is no God, many people say, what else is there? This is our new religion. And people will go to extremes to make sure that their religion um, it stays in place, that they can practice their religion, which in many cases is sexual freedom, the ability to get rid of the unintended consequences of sexual activity, which of course would be free right, not, on, not only a right to abortion, but some people are actually arguing now that we, the government ought to pay for it. Now, that's what this is really all about. Now, if you put an originalist on the court, that's somebody who looks at what the Constitution says and what statutory law says and says, OK, that's what the law is. Let me apply it to this particular case. Nobody should worry about anything if a religious I mean, if a uh, originalist justice like Anthony Ant Antonin Scalia or Clarence Thomas, or it turns out it looks like Gorsuch is an originalist. If those people are on the court, you should have nothing to worry about because. That person is going to rule according to the Constitution. Oh, well, they're going to take away a woman's right to an abortion. Well, yeah, they might do that because it's not in the Constitution. Where is abortion in the Constitution? It's not there. There is no right to an abortion in the Constitution. If you want a right to an abortion, you've got to do it through the legislature, not through the court. The court doesn't decide what rights are. The court applies rights to particular cases. That's what it should do anyway. If you get a if you get a a activist judge on the court like Justice Anthony Kennedy or Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Stephen Breyer or Elena Kagan or Justice Sotomayor, if you get those kinds of people on the court, then there's no security. Why? Because they can they'll just they'll just impose whatever they want to impose. Now, you may agree with their political views, so you'll, you'll, you'll want them on the court if you're a liberal. But if you want this country of the people, by the people, for the people, run by the people, you don't want those people on the court. Because those people are going to put their own policy positions into place, which is what Kennedy did here and what he did on the same sex marriage decision, rather than what the people have decided. Now, look, if you don't like the Constitution, what you ought to do is use. Use the means that the Constitution itself provides you to change it, and that's the amendment process. Why is there an amendment process in the Constitution? So you can change it. Now, it's hard to change, but it should be hard to change. Lawmaking should be difficult, not easy, because we already have a great Constitution and we ought to make it difficult to tear down what we know is great. We ought to make it difficult. To pass laws. Why? Because we don't want mob rule. We don't want things done on a whim. We want things done after careful, reasoned consideration. It's been said this way before. Before you move a fence, you ought to pause long enough to figure out why that fence was put there in the first place. And when we breezingly go through 
laws and change them or overrule them. We do it at our own peril. And a imperial court, as Justice Scalia put it, is a, is a great danger to us. So if President Trump continues what he promised to do, like he did with Gorsuch, put a conservative on the court, somebody who's going to conserve what we know is true about the Constitution, then you should have nothing to fear unless you're a liberal and you think that the court ought to decide what the law should be for you. And hopefully he, uh, justice, uh, the, the justice that will be picked will be a conservative. And so far, Trump has kept his word on judges. He's kept his word on Gorsuch. He's kept his word on the lower court judges. So I have no reason to believe he won't keep his word here. Of course, you never know what's going to happen when somebody gets on the court. I'm sure Reagan thought Kennedy would be good, but he wasn't. I'm sure Bush thought Souter would be good, but he wasn't. I'm sure Nixon thought Blackman would be good, but he wasn't. Blackman is the guy that wrote the Roe v. Wade decision. And right in the Roe v. Wade decision, he said, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. What? You need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins? How can you decide an abortion case without figuring out when life begins? Obviously, you need to know when life begins to know whether abortion should be permitted or not. But no, they just sidestepped that question. Why? Because they had an ideology, a policy perspective in place that they wanted to impose on the rest of the nation. Now, why is this all important? Well, certainly, certainly it's, it's important to life, obviously. If the court is going to breezily overturn pro-life laws or maybe establish the fact that we ought to have pro-life laws, that's important. People are being killed. They ought to we ought to prevent them from being killed. Secondly, it obviously has impact on our religious freedom. Christians ought to have the right to live out their faith. That's why politics are important, at least at a minimum level, to protect the innocent and to ensure that people can practice their faith freely. Without that ability, we can't even spread the gospel like we're commanded to do. So when people say, "Yeah, we, uh, you know, we we shouldn't get involved in politics. We ought to just." preach the gospel, what I say to them is, I guess you don't think the gospel is important then. What? No, I do think it's important. That's why I'm saying we ought to emphasize it. Yeah, but you can't emphasize it if it's illegal. Well, I mean, you can try, but you're probably not going to get very far. Oh, Frank, the church always, it always flourishes under persecution. No, sometimes it doesn't. I don't think the church is flourishing in North Korea right now. What do you think? No, I don't think so. Oh, maybe there's an underground church. But you think there's more robust church in countries that have religious freedom or countries that don't? What do you think? Of course, God can get his will done even when we do wrong. But the point is, would you rather have a country with religious freedom or without it? And for that reason alone, you ought to be involved politically. And for that reason alone, the Supreme Court's important. Now, if they overturn Roe v. Wade, that may change nothing. What do you mean, Frank? We're going to talk about it right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Don't go away. We're back in just two minutes. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero 
100% go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examine, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Radio Network, I to say. I want to mention that I'm going to be in Indianapolis July 3rd, right before the great birthday of the United States of America. And all the details are on our website. Going to be there at the Church of God in Christ Missions Conference. That's I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. It's uh, all day this, the 3rd, and that's in Indianapolis at the Indiana Convention Center in Indianapolis, Indiana. Check our website, crossexamined.org, for more if you want to be a part of that. Love to see you there. And uh, we're talking today here about uh, the Supreme Court a little bit and uh, what's going on there and why people are really worried about the next Supreme Court uh, appointment and who should be on the court and why people are all fired up about it. Well, I mentioned before the break that Let's say President Trump, true to his word, puts another conservative on the court and a case comes through uh, the court system and gets to the United States Supreme Court, which has the potential to overturn Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade was a decision made in 1973, which basically outlawed all state restrictions against abortion. It enshrined in the Constitution, according to the court, it's obviously not in the Constitution, but they tried to say it was. That a woman has a right to privacy, which means she has a right to kill her own child. And um, so it nullified state law, basically, is what it did. Let's say that happens. Let's say it gets up to the court and the court actually strikes down Roe versus Wade, which it should because it's very bad precedent. It wasn't reasoned properly. In fact, when I was in at the university or uh, at the, uh, the George Washington University, I got a master's in public administration. And I was taking a class in constitutional law, and my my professor was a very liberal uh, constitutional law professor. She was uh, very, very left of center. And we were talking about Roe v. Wade, and even she admitted that Roe versus Wade is on very thin ice when it comes to uh, its reasoning. It's it's just made up. It's made up law is what it is. I mean, because the Constitution says nothing about abortion, quite obviously. Uh, in any event, let's say they overturn it. All that's going to do, except for, uh, unless in one circumstance, I'll explain in a minute. All that's going to do is say, OK, there's no longer a constitutional right to abortion, but this, the, the issue goes back to the states. So then the states are going to have to decide what they do with regard to abortion. Now, there may be a few states that actually outlaw it, maybe North Dakota, South Dakota, maybe Mississippi, you know, but. It's not going to change, certainly in California or New York or some of the more liberal states where most of the abortions take place anyway, because those legislatures aren't going to uh, reaffirm the old law or if the old law would then be put into place, they'll probably overturn it right away. In other words, it goes back to the states. So it may not change virtually anything unless the court, in their opinion, and I don't see them doing this. But they probably, well, let me think about it. Well, let me just say what, what it is first. Unless the court says that there is a right to life in the Constitution. 
Now, I'd have to think about that if there's anything in the Constitution. I mean, it, I guess it's assumed, right? But is, the, is, it a, is it a right to life prior to birth in the Constitution? I don't know if the, if the Constitution addresses that. It probably doesn't, right? I mean, when, the, when the, uh, the Constitution was passed in the late 1700s, um, I, I, I don't think that they were thinking that, well, first of all, let me back up for a second. I'm just thinking out loud here. I shouldn't probably be doing that on radio, but anyway, think about this for a second. Um, criminal law is the jurisdiction of the states. So the, the federal constitution uh, in many cases isn't saying anything about what's criminal and what isn't criminal. It's just saying here are the rights that you have as a citizen. And it doesn't really talk about the right to life. It may be implied. Certainly the Declaration of Independence says you have a right to life. And a justice would have to say, well, or justice would have to say, well, the Declaration of Independence is imported into the Constitution. In that case, maybe they'll come to the conclusion that there's a right to life. But is it from the moment of conception? That's the question. See, and to be an originalist, I would have to say that the the Constitution doesn't say that. So if you wanted to say that, you need to pass a constitutional amendment. Let's be consistent here. If you want the Constitution to say there is a right to life from the moment of conception. Then you need to pass a constitutional amendment. I think that's I think it's you do have a right to life in the moment of conception, but I don't think the Constitution says that. So if you want that, then pass a pass a a constitutional amendment. Now, that's hard to do. In fact, you could do it right now and overturn Roe v. Wade yourself if you could convince enough people in states to do that. But there's not enough will in the country to do that. So I think if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it's only going to have a marginal difference. Uh, in terms of how many babies are aborted. It may save some lives, but I think many states will continue with abortion as their state law. Now, what about this issue? And by the way, there have been several cases decided 5-4 over the past several weeks that I think came to the right conclusion. Uh, Of course, the Masterpiece Bakery decision was, was properly decided in the right uh, the right decision came down. I don't think the reasoning was very good uh, because uh, they basically said the only reason that Jack Phillips um, wins the case is because the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, whoever they were to, that was trying to persecute him, were mean to him. They weren't neutral with regard to his religion. Well, whether you're mean or not shouldn't be the issue. The issue should be does Jack Phillips have the right not to be coerced? to support a message that he finds offensive. And I think the Constitution protects his right to not be coerced to support a message that he finds offensive or against his religious, uh, his religious beliefs. They're not forcing him to say anything or do anything against his will. I mean, after all, look, look at friends. We have, we actually have, rightfully so, conscientious objector status for people who can't, defend the country. We say, okay, you have a religious objection to uh, battle, to using force. We're going to give you an out. And we should do that. Now, if we're doing that, and that's the most, um, that's the number one priority of government, to protect innocent people from evil. That's why governments exist, to protect There are people in their jurisdiction from evil. That's their role. That's their number one role. And the government says, look, We can give you an exemption if you have a conscientious objection to this. 
If we can do that, do you think we can give people conscientious objection status to do same-sex weddings? Obviously. The, the, the very survival of the nation isn't, isn't somehow jeopardized if somebody, if Jack Phillips doesn't do a cake for a same-sex wedding. But it could be jeopardized if Jack Phillips says, I can't defend the country. Yet we still say, Jack, you don't have to defend the country if you're a conscientious objector. So if we're going to say that, we can certainly say to him, you don't have to make a same-sex wedding either, or a same-sex wedding cake either. Do you see the reasoning here? It seems pretty airtight to me. In any event, this uh, other decision that came down was the Trump travel ban, the so-called Trump travel ban, which supposedly uh, some liberal justices said was against Muslims. And so it was against the First Amendment. In fact, in the... In the dissent, I'm looking for the uh, opening paragraph of the dissent here. I just read it. It was by uh, Justice Sotomayor. She says, and I think Ginsburg was with her on this. Let me see. Let me see if that's actually the case. Um, Stand by for vectors, Victor. Gee, I just had it in front of me. Now I don't. This dissent is like 700 pages long. Where's the front of this thing? I was just there. Let's see. Yes, it's Ginsburg and Sotomayor, but Sotomayor is is actually uh, writing the opinion. And here's what the opening line says. Check this out. The United States of America is a nation built upon the promise of religious liberty. Our founders honored that core promise by embedding the principle of religious neutrality in the First Amendment. The court's decision today fails to safeguard the fundamental principle or that fundamental principle. Now, these are the same two people, I believe, Sotomayor and Ginsburg, who objected to Jack Phillips, the baker, having the religious freedom not to be forced to bake a same-sex wedding cake. And yet here they are with regard to the Trump travel ban, ostensibly trying to come to the defense of Muslims outside the country, as if they have a religious freedom right to come into the country. They're evoking they're evoking the First Amendment's protection of religious liberty to apply to people outside the country who aren't even citizens, yet they're ignoring that right to a United States citizen inside the country. I mean, can you say this is completely inconsistent? Of course it is. That's what you get when you get liberals on the court trying to create policy based on their own ideology. They're not applying the case fairly. They're not applying the Constitution or the statutory laws fairly to the individual case. They're just applying it when they find it convenient. That's the problem here. Now, why is this not a violation of the First Amendment, Trump's travel ban? Well, uh, David French, who always writes a great column on this kind of thing over there at National Review, had a, uh, an entire column on this. And here's the headline. You could read the whole thing yourself. I don't have time to get into it. But he says, in vindicating Trump's travel, born, travel ban, the Supreme Court upheld the law. How did it uphold the law? Because here is what the law actually says. This is a U.S. code. This thing was passed, I think, in 1953. 
And it said whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may by proclamation and for such period as he deemed necessary suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem appropriate, period. The the. The majority in this case, led by Justice Roberts, said the statute exudes deference to the president in every clause. Exactly. The president has the right to deny anybody. The. uh, Or the president has the right to deny anybody entry into this country for almost any reason. And by the way. You have a right once you come into this country to religious freedom, you're protected. But that doesn't mean you have the religious freedom to, say, blow up a train station or commit jihad, as some people who claim to be religious say. Some Muslims obviously want to commit jihad. Now, we're not going to allow them into the country because they claim that jihad is their religious belief. No, the president has a right to say, no, you're not coming in here. I don't care if you call that a religious belief. That's not not the kind of religion or religious freedom we're going to give you for obvious reasons. Anyway, more on this when we come back. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. you homeschoolers out there I want to mention that starting in early September, we're going to have a brand new course up, a new cross-examined course. If you go to crossexamine.org and hit online courses, you'll see it here. It's, it's actually coming up in the next week or two. You'll see the, uh, the landing page. It's called Fearless Faith. It's with myself, Jay Warner Wallace, and uh, Dr. Mike Adams. And it will prepare you for hostility either in the classroom or at the water cooler. How to... Have a fearless faith and be able to, with tact, be able to handle the objections you're going to get to Christianity. Not only make a positive case for Christianity, but how to handle the objections. So it's going to be an online course with myself, Jay Warner Wallace, and Mike Adams, which means if you take the premium version, you're actually going to be able to interact live via Zoom video with us when we do these Zoom Q&A sessions. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, look at our website here shortly. It's going to be up there soon. And it's not just for homeschoolers. I mentioned homeschoolers because I know a lot of homeschool parents are trying to figure out what to what, you know, what course their kids are going to take uh, in the next uh, semester. Well, you might want to put that on your list. It's going to be about an eight week course starting early September, go right up to uh, early November, I think. And uh, it'll cover the, the waterfront with uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Elements will be in there. Jay Warner Wallace's book, Cold Case Christianity. He'll talk a lot about that. And Mike Adams does a great job preparing you for college in particular uh, because he's a college professor, as you know, and uh, so he gives you 12 steps you gotta you got to go through to be ready for college, and uh, so you want to be a part of that. That's called Fearless Faith. It's coming up. we got some other courses coming up as well, but I just wanted to put that bug in your ear now so you could be on the lookout for it. Okay, we are just talking about Trump's so-called travel ban, which was upheld by the United States Supreme Court 5-4, to four. and um, if anybody tries to make a case that this is racism, uh, first of all, and I said this the other day earlier on an AFR program with uh, Tim Wildman on today's issues. 
people are really confused over what Islam is because they say that if you somehow want to keep Muslims out of the country for whatever reason, that it's racist. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Islam is not a race. Islam is an ideology. It's a set of beliefs. You have all different so-called races who are Muslims. You have white Muslims, black Muslims, red Muslims, yellow Muslims. Everybody is represented in Islam in terms of their race or their ethnicity. It's not racist to say that you want to keep certain Muslims out of the country. You're not keeping them out of the country because they're Muslims. Anyway, you're keeping them out of the country because some of them may have an ideology and those are the people you're trying to keep out. Not all Muslims. You're trying to keep out the Muslims who have the ideology of jihad. That's why you're trying to keep them out. That's not a race. That's an ideology, an ideology that is and will be dangerous to American citizens. The role of the president, and Paul talks about this in Romans 13, the ruler does not bear the sword for nothing. He's there to protect innocent people from evil. That's what governments do. We can't just let anybody into the country because we let anybody into the country. Some of those people want to kill us. And they've, they've admitted that and they've done it over here. So we can't put our heads in the sand and say, we're going to have open borders. Anyone can come in disaster. That would be a dereliction of duty on the, on, on the, uh, on the part of the president. His job is to protect this nation from external evil. That's what he's supposed to do. So it's not a race. It's an ideology. And by the way, do you know that while if you're, you're going to try and say it's a race, you're, you're wrong. Not only that, but if people think, well, all Muslims are Arabs. No, they're not. Do you know that while 80 percent of of Arabs are Muslims, only 20 percent of Muslims are Ar- Arabs? Can I say that again? <laughs> I didn't even get it. <laughs> it's true that while 80 percent of Arabs are Muslims. Only 20% of Muslims are Arabs. The biggest Muslim country in the world is Indonesia. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's not Iran. It's not Iraq. It's Indonesia. They're not, they're not Arabs over there. So the point here is, is that the president has the ability to keep people out of the nation. And some in the dissent tried to talk about this, uh, case of the Japanese internment during World War II. And uh, Justice Roberts addressed that directly. You know, the people are trying to say, well, this is just like interning the Japanese, which was wrong. And here's what Justice Roberts says. He says, finally, the dissent invokes the Korematsu versus the United States case. Whatever rhetorical advantage the dissent may see in doing so, Kuramatsu has nothing to do with this case. The forcible relocation of U.S. citizens to concentration camps solely and explicitly on the basis of race is objectively unlawful and outside the scope of presidential authority. But it is wholly inapt to liken that morally repugnant order to a facially neutral policy denying certain foreign nationals the privilege of admission. You see the point here? When, you, when you're rounding up U.S. citizens just because of their ethnicity, that's illegal. But when you prevent people who are not U.S. citizens from coming into the country, that's not illegal. That may be wise, especially if some of those citizens have a intent to harm Americans. And many of them do. 
And the reason, by the way, these countries have these uh, or these certain countries were selected uh, as targets of the ban was because those countries don't have good enough screening for our purposes to allow their people to come in here. Now, we try and screen them, too, but they don't even have good screening. So we're saying to protect our citizens, we're not going to allow those people to come here. Now, you can argue over the merits of that. You can say whether that's a good idea or not. But what you can't say is that that the president doesn't have the authority to do so. He does, according to U.S. law. In fact, what what French says in his article, he goes, what's amazing to to me about this case is that four United States Supreme Court justices actually think the president doesn't have this authority when he clearly does. Now, if you don't like the fact that he has that authority and you think that there's a better way of doing this, fine. What you need to do is you need to persuade your fellow citizens to lobby Congress to change the law. What you don't do is sit up on the Supreme Court and decide to change the law yourself, because that's not what the court is supposed to do. What the court is supposed to do, let me say it again, is apply the law as written fairly to individual cases. It's not to make law. The people are supposed to do that through their elected representatives. So this is why people are up in arms over the next Supreme Court justice, because they know that the court has gone out of control. It's now a political body. So we want to put our politician on the court so we can get our way politically. That's not the way it ought to be. So there's going to be a fight. But I actually think the people on the left have a lot less to fear than they think they do. Because as I said before, even if they overturn Roe v. Wade, that's probably not going to affect abortion law all that much. Now, I could be wrong about that. Maybe if they, as I say, they come up with some way of finding a right to life in the Constitution, that would, that would certainly change things. But I don't think it's in the Constitution, not for preborn. I don't think that the, I don't think that the, the, the document says that. So it doesn't say that. You want it to say that? Use the amendment process to make it say that. But don't, don't tell the Supreme Court to make up law. That's, how, that's why we're in the position we're in now as a nation. All of the major changes cultural changes when it comes to these the sexual revolution abortion same-sex marriage these have been imposed on american people rather than the american people have lobbied for them now once the court says something like this then the american people seem to fall in line quite frequently because many people think whatever is legal is moral and whatever is illegal is immoral i mean think about uh, slavery for example slavery about 150 years ago we went to war over this issue of slavery. Now, how many people do you know who think slavery is a good idea? Hardly anybody. Why? What changed? The law changed. Well, look, we're less religious now than we were 150 years ago, yet we have a better moral view of slavery. Why? Because the law changed. Because many people think whatever is legal is moral and whatever is illegal is immoral. The law is a great teacher. People tend to defer to the law. Same thing is true with abortion. In 1973, we had 50 state laws against abortion. We had restrictions all over the place. Then the United States Supreme Court acted as a legislature and overturned all those laws by judicial fiat. Now, where are we? How many years later? Where are we now? 
well, now we're about evenly split. What, 45 years later? Am I doing my math right? We're about evenly split. What changed? The law changed. Again, many people think whatever is legal is moral and, moral and whatever ever, ever is easy for me to say. Whatever is illegal is immoral. You get the idea. So it's important that the right laws are put in place and the right laws are then followed by the United States Supreme Court. That's why it's important to put the right justice up there. And by the way, for those of you out there who said, oh, I could never vote for Trump. Well, you know, I don't endorse candidates here, but I'd much rather have Trump in there appointing justices than Hillary Clinton. I can, I can tell you that. And if Trump gets this nominee through and maybe even another nominee through, even if he doesn't get another nominee through, if he gets just this nominee th through and this person lives a long time, this is going to tilt the court in the right constitutional way, the right way, a more conservative way, a way that respects the Constitution and the will of the people, much more so than if Hillary Clinton had appointed justices. In fact, they would have gone the other way. And Christianity, expression of Christianity probably would be outlawed ultimately under the justices of Hillary Clinton. Uh, you think I'm making this up? I'm, I don't think I am. I don't think I'm being extreme here. I certainly think the, uh, the decision, uh, the Jack Phillips decision that came down properly, that gave him, that recognized his right not to make the, the, the cake. I think that would have gone the other way if a justice appointed by Hillary had been on there. Uh, and probably these other cases would have as well. So it's important. All right, friends, great being with you again. I'm sorry I couldn't get to all the questions via email. If you have a question or comment, hello at crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. Hello at crossexamined.org. I'll try and get to it in the next show. Great being with you, friends. Forget, uh, don't forget, I'll be in Indianapolis this Tuesday. See you next time. God bless. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the Cross-Examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 